Hey everyone, and welcome to Women Who Travel, a podcast from Condé Nast Traveler. My name is Meredith Carey, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Lale Aracoglu. Hi. This week, we are once again tapping two women who know about the thing that we're talking about this week, uh, much more than Lolly and I do, which is just generally the outdoors. I know both of them, when we told them that they were coming on, we're like, I need you to get a little more specific than that. So this week, we're talking about how to plan a summer outdoor adventure, mostly because uh, I think Lolly and I are a little tired of... The, like, gray, gloomy winter, spring that we've been getting in the city. I mean, as we speak, it is possibly the shittest weather outside possible. <laughs> it is astonishingly bad. And I think we're dreaming of these wide open spaces, fresh air that doesn't smell like a bunch of exhaust. And so we have our photo editor, Meg Reinhart, who is joining us on the podcast today. She spent a lot of time on our other podcast, Travelog, but this is her first appearance on Women Who Travel. Hi. Uh, and calling in from Santa Fe is the online managing editor of Outside, Abigail Wise. And we are so excited to have her on today as well. Hi, I'm excited to be here. And this is your second Women Who Travel, I think. Yes, it is. Love it. Um, well, you know, as Meredith just said, like many of the people that we interview on this podcast, we select them because they know so much more about a topic than we do. And we're very curious people. And we're also very lazy people. And we live in the city. And to me, getting ready to go for a weekend spent out in the outdoors feels like so much hassle. And this, and I know this is coming from a place of great ignorance, but I, because I don't have a tent, I don't have a sleeping bag, I don't really own any proper hiking gear, it feels expensive and daunting to me. So how does someone like me even sort of start getting into the outdoors? For me, I think it's just a basic hike. You don't have to have a lot for a basic hike. You can grab your backpack and a water bottle and really comfortable clothing and go. And it doesn't have to be overwhelming. It'd be really simple. And, and I so think how, how do you choose? How do you choose where to go? There's the the wide the open world. world is so big. So for a weekend, I like to stay within like two to two and a half hours of home, so that I can really experience the outdoors and not spend the entire time in a car, which is the whole point is getting away from everything. Um, so I pick a lot of the state and national parks. Um, I'm very lucky to live just outside of New York City, so I have all of New York, Massachusetts, and Connecticut within two and a half hours. Uh, so the Catskills, the Hudson Valley, go way up north. The Berkshires are all great places to spend outside for a weekend. Being in the Southwest, what are your you know go-tos? Where did you even start when you wanted to get outside when you moved to Santa Fe? Yeah, so actually, I, I totally agree. I think that there's no need to like plan a crazy weekend epic. I think that's a complete like misconception that people have that like they need to be somebody in some like crazy Everest looking mountain in order to be outdoorsy. Um, and actually, like some of my favorite trails are literally in my backyard. It's like the BLM land behind where I live. Um, and I run those trails every morning. They're my favorites. But I think like there are a lot of great resources out there that can help folks who are new to hiking find those trails. Um, something like uh, Hiking Project, for example, which is now owned by REI. Um, they do a great job of kind of compiling all of the local options and local trails near you. 
Um, and so you can use that to filter out distance or, you know, you can look at how much vert there is if you don't want to climb something insanely steep. Um, you can look at pictures to see if it's what you're after. And so I think like starting close to home is super helpful. Um, for me, like weekend trips are often, I know Meg, you said like a couple hours, but I think maybe we drive more out here in the West. <laughs> for sure. Everything's a lot closer for us. Exactly. So I think for me, like anything under like six hours is a good weekend trip. So that can take me up to Colorado, into the mountains. It can take me into canyons. It can take me into like the slot canyons of Utah or like the arches of like Arches National Park and, and Moab. And um, anyways, so that's what a weekend trip is for me. But I don't think that's what it needs to be for everyone. I'm curious, maybe starting with you, Abigail, what you feel like you get out of these weekend trips or even just day trips into the outdoors and outside of, you know, your usual worldview. Totally. Um, so I think that because I work for Outside Magazine, people have this idea that I'm like living this really rad life all the time at work. But actually, I spend most of my days like in front of a computer, <laughs> probably as most of us do. So... I need to be outside. I work in the, in the outdoor industry because I love the outdoors. Um, and so I try to make a point of getting outside every single day. And for me, a, a quick weekend trip is, you know, I get to look at the stars instead of looking at my computer screen. And that's super valuable to me. Um, I also think the community that I've met through these like quick trips around, um, whether it's climbing or hiking or paddling or whatever, um, I've met these really amazing women. I mean, men too, but I have this like specific group of women that comes to mind that, you know, we started to connect through actually like social media many years ago. And we've now established there are like maybe eight or nine of us. And we have established an annual like ladies desert meetup. Um, so once a year, we like all come together from, you know, Boulder, Utah, New Mexico, um, and we meet in a different desert every year and we bring all of our dogs and we just kind of like talk about life. And some of my biggest life decisions have been made after talking them through with these women. So I think community is another really important thing that comes out of, um, the outdoor community. I think I want to invite myself and my puppy on that trip next year. <laughs> yes, yes, please come. They're so much fun. They're amazing. Um, Meg, what do you feel like you get out of this time spent outside? I think a lot of what Abigail said is true. It's uh, just that disconnect. I mean, I'm a person that loves photography and the outside world, and I sit in front of a screen all day looking at everybody else's pretty pictures, which is really sad and heartbreaking sometimes. <laughs> like, I want to be out there. So it's just going outside disconnecting. And if anyone watches my Instagram stories, it's often like midnight and you just saw 24 hours of me in the outside because I want to go off the grid when I'm outdoors and I'll go hiking and most of my pack is cameras um, and just get to slow down and take a deep breath. And like you said earlier, breathe in that fresh air. There's just like something about that. Not the cars rushing by, not the exhaust, not the I have to do this. It's like I'm here and I'm just going to enjoy myself in this moment and the company like I go with some of my best girlfriends and we just we have these moments where it's like okay nothing else is here but us and like you said the friendships are really important to that point how much 
time do you spend solo in the outdoors? Is something that's important to you guys or do you prefer to be doing it in a group? I love hiking. I I don't camp alone for the most part, but I love hiking alone and it's really important to me. I don't think a lot of my friends like that I go out on my own, but I've gotten good about saying like, this is where I'm going. This is my expected time to be back. These are the trails. It's really important for me. It's that time where it's like I can reset to zero and not have anything else and not have to talk to anyone, not have to worry about anyone. I can do everything at my pace. Yeah, I totally agree. I love solo time outside. I mean, I love going with my friends too, but I, I need oftentimes if I'm like having a particularly stressful time in my life, or I feel like I need to make a big decision of some sort, it's really helpful for me to plan a trip on my own. And whether that's a backpacking trip or just like taking my truck somewhere and like car camping, I I have the back built out. So it's really easy for me to just like pop in the back and sleep. And I think like that is so valuable to me. Um, It forces you to kind of like focus inward and think about what matters to you and what you enjoy doing. And, you know, you're not on anyone else's schedule. Like if your friend wants to go on this like really massive run and maybe you don't feel like going on it, if you're on a solo trip, like you don't have to feel pressured to, to go on that massive run. You can just like sit at camp and, and eat mac and cheese all day if you want to, you know? And I think that's such an important point is that anybody can be in the outdoors. Like there's a stigma online that you have to be like this tiny, cute little girl lady with all of these accessories. And you don't have to be, you just have to walk outside and all of a sudden you're a person in the outdoors. And I think that's so important because there's a stereotype around it and we can all go outside and go at our own pace and just enjoy it in our, our time and our moment. Well, and you know, I think that's such a good point. And I feel like outside does a really amazing job when it comes to talking about inclusivity in the outdoors. And Abigail, I'd love to kind of know what that path was at the magazine to having more of those conversations and the sorts of people that you're featuring in outside. Thank you. That means so much to me because it is something that me and my entire team like think about every single day of our lives. And, you know, we know we have a long way to go. Uh, especially because we're coming from this industry that is historically filled with like white bros. Um, And so we're trying really hard to better represent everyone who's in the outdoors, which really is everyone. Um, And I I mean, I think that it's a slow mission for us. Um, We pay attention to both the subject matter, you know, the people who we are profiling, but we also pay attention to the people who we're working with. And we're trying to focus on DEI efforts um, in terms of who's writing and photographing for us as well. And I think that the more work we do in that space, the more it's at top of mind and the more we continue to focus on it. And so my hope is that you know, it's, I I don't know that it's ever going to be like a perfect equation. I think it's always going to be forward movement and we're going to continue to try to progress and, and try to best represent the outdoors as they actually are, which is for everyone. I'm curious because I think that a piece of this, and that kind of goes back to what Lolly was saying at the beginning is that in my experience, you know, the accessories that you do need maybe for your, you know, 10th hike or something when you want to go on a bigger trip than just I'm going to drive an hour outside of town, you know, wander around the Catskills and then drive back to New York. Um, It's expensive. Um, And when you talk about, 
you know, the gear that you need, even if it's just a truck with a built out back, I think that that can get pricey. Are there ways of going about planning an outdoor adventure that maybe don't cost so much? It's like anything that you love to do, you slowly build up. You don't go for your first adventure out into the woods and you're not gonna do Yellowstone for three weeks like I did your first time out. That's after years of growing and gathering equipment. So like your first time out, you might go and get like a decent tent for the two people, you know, you have sleeping bags, your friend has something and you borrow from this person or that person and your first time out, you're not going alone. So you're probably going with a few people and everyone has a little something that you use. And that's how I started. It was like, okay, well this leftover piece of equipment from the eighties that my dad has and my friend's lending me her stove. And now after 30 plus years of camping, I have amazing equipment, but I built it up over time and it's investment. So I've gotten better pieces here and there until I have better equipment. And it's, it's what you need to do, but you don't just do it all on your first time out. Tell us about yeah, those, totally. tell us about those three weeks in Yellowstone. Oh my gosh, best three weeks of my life. We went and we did the Grand Tetons, Yellowstone, and Rocky Mountain National Park for a week each in a tent, 21 nights straight without flushable toilets or showers or all the realities that everyone loves to have. Um, and for me, it was, it's just a dream. It's been five years since I went and I still talk about it and I just glow and I'm so happy because I was just there with the closest people in my life, my nephews, my brother, and my sister-in-law. And we just explored the woods. And we woke up with the sun every day and went to sleep with the uh, moon every night and saw the sky and breathed in the fresh air and had the trees. And it was a dream. No bison run-ins? We saw bison, um, but we didn't try to <laughs> steal any baby bison and take them back in our car. And we respected the woods. We, we did the leave no trace. And uh, we packed everything in. We packed everything out uh, and really just respected the places we were in. That's amazing. That sounds like a uh, just fantastic trip, a life-changing trip. It absolutely was. I'm curious when you're talking about, you know, packing in and packing out, you know, I think that a concern that is top of mind or at least should be for everyone is being a responsible traveler, um, especially when it comes to being outside and respecting the environment. What mistakes do you think people are making who might think that they are living a sustainable lifestyle? I think one of the like main things that we are all a little bit guilty of is like we were just talking about going out and buying all this gear. I think we buy way too much gear. Um, it costs a lot of energy and resources to produce, you know, a puffy jacket. So I think before we go out to like buy the new thermal whatever, we should really like stop and think about do I actually need another jacket or can I just like duct tape my downhole, you know, that's flooding feathers right now. And I also think like in terms of renting gear, you know, maybe you, maybe you know that you're going to go on like this ice climbing trip, but you're not really an ice climber. Do you really need to go out and buy all those new products? Because probably, you know, they're just going to sit in your gear closet for years if you're not an ice climber. So you can go to a gear rental shop, whether that's um, through a guide or through even like big retailers. Um, REI, for example, rents out like all the gear that you could ever need. Um, so I think like looking for areas where you can reduce what you're buying is a really, really important thing. And that's something that we don't often talk about as much as we should in the outdoor industry. Um, I completely agree. It, oh. I, no, I think you said <laughs> it perfectly. <laughs> 
I actually have REI rentals down on my little notes. Um, but I think renting equipment is so important because there are so many trips. That when I went to Alaska again for three weeks, like there's things that I needed on that trip that I was never going to need again. So I borrowed and rented and I got what I needed, even down to like my camera lenses. There were certain things that I was going to use once in a lifetime and I rented it because why do I need to, first of all, spend that crazy amount of money like Meredith was saying, but also just impact the environment that way. Okay, so back to poop. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, the, the question, the big question we all have. Um, let's talk about poop. Everybody poops. And when you're on a trip, you need to poop. Um, I think that a lot of times people think that they're doing the right thing when they go into the backcountry and dig a hole that's like six to eight inches deep and, you know, cover it up and, and do their thing. I, that sometimes that works, but a lot of times if you're in like a highly populated area, there's like way too much poop if everybody's doing that. Or if you're in the Alpine or like a desert environment, um, it actually takes a much longer time for waste to decompose. And so the best rule of thumb is when in doubt, pack it out. And that goes for your animals too, because we both yes. talked about having puppies. You shouldn't let your pups just go in the woods as well. You should also pack them out. It's not as good for the environment as everyone thinks. They're eating stuff that is toxic to the environment. Yes. So inexperienced hikers do not be concerned by the fact that we just talked about <laughs> packing your own food no. out. But you're not there yet. You don't have to worry about it because you are not there yet. Well, and also like, it's, it's okay to not be there. Like I've, I am, I consider myself a very outdoorsy person and given the choice, I would much rather stop in a gas station on the way to my destination than poop outside somewhere. I agree on that one too. (laughs) (laughs) You can do something worthy in another aspect of your trip. (laughs) Sort of talking about, you know, not scaring off inexperienced hikers. And Meg, you mentioned a little bit about how where you live just outside of New York, um, there's sort of a wealth of trails and places to explore. What are some of the national parks and places that the two of you like hold close to your heart that you also think is a good place for first timers to dip their toes into? Um, I've spent a lot of time at Rocky Mountain National Park, which is Uh, about an hour outside, maybe an hour and a half outside of Denver. Um, That's somewhere I visit a lot. And there's tons of trails there that fit every level. So I think that's a great starting point for anyone in the Denver metro area. Out here, going to the Catskills is really great. There's um, Catterskill Falls and Minnewaska State Park, which are also both great places if you live in New York City to go to, um, as well as Bear Mountain, all within an hour to an hour and a half. Um, And then closest to my heart, but not close to any of us, is Acadia National Park in Maine. And I'm going back there after 30 years away for a week this summer. So super excited about going back up there and hiking Cadillac Mountain again. I love Acadia. Oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. Yes. And you can, there's like climbing on, um, what is it, Otter Cliffs, I think, right over the water. It's so beautiful. I did my first ever hike that I can remember. I did there when I was eight years old. So finally going back. (laughs) Oh, fun. Yes, out here. Actually, so you mentioned national parks and I actually tend to avoid national parks simply because I have dogs and most national Mm -hmm. parks are not dog friendly. Um, But what I found is that oftentimes right next to a national park is land that is managed by BLM or the Forest Service or someone else who does allow dogs. So what I tend to do is find the national park, 
and then look in a map and see what other um, public land is around it. So I'm like a big fan of BLM because I like that you can kind of camp wherever. Um, but if you're like newer, I think like state parks are a great option and often less crowded than national parks. Um, and there are just more resources in, in those more established parks, though, like visitor centers and, and things like that, which can be helpful if you're newer. But yeah, I spend a lot of time in like northern New Mexico on just open BLM land. Um, I love Moab, which is becoming more more and more popular, but is still beautiful and amazing to visit. And I try and make it out there at least a couple times a year. Also, White Sands in New Mexico, it's in southern New Mexico, is super beautiful and not as well known as some of the other like big landmarks out in the southwest. Um, but sunset and sunrise on that white sand is amazing. I'm curious when you're talking about BLM or Bureau of Land Management land, like when you're looking at maps, how do you know what is what? That's a very good question. I've been saying for years, I wish someone would create an app or something that established who runs what land. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it exists. Maybe it exists. If it does, someone should email me and tell me because I would use it all the time. Um, I just do a lot of internet research. So I will look at a national park and like, let's say I want to go to the Grand Canyon, for example. Then maybe I Google Grand Canyon. I look at a map and I look at the surrounding marked parks around it. And then I'll literally just Google those parks and, you know, the official website. You can always tell who runs it, whether it's like the Forest Service or the BLM or whoever. And those websites are pretty good at telling you like what you're allowed and not allowed at those parks and if there's hours and if there's camping and if you can have fires and pets and all those different things. Um, I just wanted to go back to your point for a second about forest land. That's a really good tip. Um, If you want to go to a national park, but again, save money, which can get really expensive. The forest land is a place that you can often camp for free instead of paying the national park fees. Um, and the sites can't be reserved for the most part. So you can go in and f- as long as they're available and you follow the rules, like you have to be so far away from open water sources and things like that. Um, I did that a lot in the Grand Tetons and it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And there was no one near me, even though I was right on the border of a national park. Yeah. Abigail, when you're talking about national parks getting more crowded, um, I'm curious if you feel like there are underrated national parks that people who are basically shuttling into a lot of these really popular parks. Um, I know like Horseshoe Bend even has instituted a paid parking policy. And if there's not Mm -hmm. any room in the parking lot uh, starting this summer, you're going to have to keep going and come back later uh, because so many Instagrammers are taking their pictures there. I'm just curious if you think there are spots, you know, talking about White Sands that people should be going to maybe instead of, you know, Yellowstone or instead of Grand Canyon, um, because yeah. those are really beautiful spots and I think everyone should see them in their lifetime, but maybe not this summer. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree. And I would like to say like, there are always alternatives, but I don't mean to like hate on national parks in any way. I think they're an incredibly valuable resource and, and they're th- these beautiful lands that are protected in the way that they are for a reason. And it's, it's because of their beauty and their unique features. And I, I think I try and remind myself whenever I'm at a really crowded park, um, I try to remind myself that the more people who are experiencing this, that is the, the more potential stewards we have to help us protect these environments. Um, and, and the more these people are getting educated on how valuable the outdoors are. And that's a really, really positive thing. So I always try and remind myself of that. You also, I know, Meg, you mentioned Rocky Mountain National Park, which is obviously like one of the biggest, most popular For and sure. most visited ones in the country. But 
I, when I was living in Boulder, I would, I was training for an ultra marathon and I would do a lot of my long runs in Rocky mountain because the second you get like two miles into the wilderness, two miles off the main trails, you see no one. Oh, that's, so I think you, just, that's the way to do it. I totally agree is just get away from the pack. Yeah, exactly. So even in the most crowded national parks, like there is definitely the opportunity to spend some time kind of by yourself. Um, and I also think in terms of underrated national parks, uh, to answer your original question, Great Sand Dunes National Park in Southern Colorado is so epic. You can like go sledding and sandboarding down these like massive sand dunes. And you have these like beautiful snow capped mountains in the background. And there's like a mini river that runs down one side of it. So in the summer, kids are like swimming and splashing in it. And, and you can bring dogs and you can camp there. Like it's just a really, really great park. And not a lot of people have been to it. I've only ever seen photos of it, and it is truly probably the most striking national park that I have ever seen because it's, I mean, enormous, like, feels like the Sahara sand dunes with huge mountains behind them. And you're like, how are you in the same, like, is this photoshopped? Are these not two totally different places? Totally. It's gorgeous. Out of interest, you know, you both of you talking about finding these sort of quieter spaces to explore and enjoy um, away from the crowds, when you come across these, you know, very, very beautiful pieces of land, do you feel inclined to not Instagram it and not share it and try and like keep it still a little bit of a secret? I think for me, um, I'll often tag, like if I'm at a national or state park, I feel comfortable tagging that park because if I'm in a really special place way off the beaten trail, most people aren't going to be like, all right, well, here's the coordinates. I'm going to go there. So, but I rarely would tag like a trail or a very specific place unless it was something that everybody has been to and they know where it is. And I just, I, I agree. I don't want everyone to go. And I think it's nice to get your own picture. You don't need to get the picture that everyone else has taken. Be creative. <laughs> totally. I agree. And I think like my, my thinking around this topic has really evolved in the past like two years. And I think I used to take things a lot more and now I'm much more likely to even go as broad as like, I don't really tag like our local climbing crag here in Santa Fe anymore. I just tag New Mexico in general. And I'm happy to share like if a friend reaches out or even not a friend reaches out and is like, oh my gosh, this is so awesome. I'm planning a trip to New Mexico. Where is this crag? Like I'm happy to be like, oh, that's, you know, located here. It's as far out of Santa Fe. Here's how you get there. I'm happy to share that information on a case by case basis. I think it's just like it's different doing it that way. It's almost more word of mouth than, you know, broadcast. Um, Meg telling people to go out there and be original with their photography <laughs> as a photographer. What are your tips for people to do that? Stop looking at Instagram so much. <laughs> Fair. I, I think people, because of, and this is probably a little too personal, but like, or my personal opinion, but people have gotten so competitive because of social media, which is why I backed off and got rid of Facebook and all kinds of other Twitter and everything this year. And I love Instagram because I like to look at pretty pictures, but do your own thing. Like you don't have to do what everybody else is doing. It's cool that they did it, but now go and do what you want and what's going to make you happy and what's going to fulfill you instead of, I have to do this because this person did it and I want to be like them. But to your point, um, to get the best pictures, I think you just have to take pictures that you love and that's the best picture for you. It's not what everybody else is doing. But I always, uh, when I used to teach, I always did this one challenge with my kids and this was way back when I lived in West Virginia um, and I had, oh gosh, I think they were like eight to 10 year olds and I taught photography to them back with film. And their first assignment every summer was 
go out and take a picture of the flagpole at the center of camp. Now, the first thing is all these kids are at least a foot shorter than me. So they're looking at a different angle than I am. But every kid saw the flagpole differently. So some stood on a picnic table, some laid on the grass, you know, some went real far away, some used a zoom lens. And just remember that, like everyone sees things differently. Show us how you see it or what the moment is for you or how the light is different. Um, like put some feeling into it. What, what do you get out of that? And show us that in your final picture. I mean, one of my favorite Instagram accounts, and it's probably like the only shame Instagram account that I follow is uh, You Did Not Sleep There, um, <laughs> which, which is just a collection of really, really, really illogical photos that influencers have posted um, of them like in a sleeping bag that they clearly like like hiked in with so that they could like sit and take this photo of them like on the pancake rock or like on some cliffside where like it would be one dangerous or two like really cold uh, to actually sleep at and it's one it's kind of the same thing which is like you know I think a lot of that comes from people seeing the same types of images and being like okay well how do I innovate on that I'll pretend like I slept there and that's just not the way that it works. This is completely ridiculous. It's amazing. Sorry, yeah, she I'm just pulled it up. <laughs> uh, you should all check it out because it's a true source of entertainment and I joy. I can see Meg looking increasingly angry when she scrolls through the feed. <laughs> There's like this beagle mutt tucked into a sleeping bag cuddled with like the perfect southwestern blanket on the side of a cliff. Like, don't risk your dog's life for that. <laughs> oh, my God. I've never put my dog near the edge of a cliff. Um, going the other direction from the imperfect, illogical uh, Instagram photo, I'm just curious if each of you were to plan uh, a perfect weekend outdoors, what would you do on a Saturday, Abigail? So I would likely be somewhere in the desert. You know, it's funny. I grew up in Minnesota and like the woods and the lakes, and I never thought I would fall in love with the desert in the way that I have. Um, Santa Fe is technically the desert. It's the high desert. Uh, but we also have like Utah and Arizona and like all these really um, different and unique desert landscapes within driving distance. So I tend to go to the desert. Um, there's also great climbing in the desert, which I love to do. But I think something that I am trying to get better at as like a naturally very type A planner type person is to plan less. Um, I found that some of my most memorable trips have been the ones where I maybe had like one or two things that I kind of wanted to do, but I didn't plan out every single thing in, in the day. And I think that's when you like stumble upon like the dinosaur tracks in Moab, or you find the hidden hot springs along the Colorado River uh, is when you kind of have time to like wander around and talk to locals and see what they want to do. So I'm actually making an effort to pick a cool destination, go there and then plan a little bit less. Meg, how about you? Well, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> I, I pick a destination and it's like, you know, you have your basics plan. Like, I'm going to go this, go to this place and stand up paddle boarding is my thing this weekend. So I want to go somewhere with a lake. And then everything else is sort of like a surprise. So I pick a reason to go to a place. Like if I'm going to stand up paddleboard or if we're in Vermont and there's foliage, it's September, October, um, spring, there's blossoms and going on everywhere. So it's like that one moment. But then 
letting it not be completely planned, I think is part of the beauty of being in the outdoors. Like, I don't want to know what I'm doing every minute. I wake up when I wake up and, you know, you get a little campfire going and you get to make this great breakfast and then just wherever your feet lead you on the trails, it's just make sure you have your compass. It's on the trails being the oh, key. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Please stay, stay on, on the on trails. The trail. <laughs> and that's a safety thing, but also an environmental thing. It is. It's part of the um, leave no trace that you should stay on the trails that are already there. And that's just, it's really good for the environment. It's safer for you there's a lot of positives to it to wrap things up i just had one last question and hopefully this isn't going to be too hard a question to answer um but i was wondering if there are any gear brands or outdoors groups that cater to women's adventure that um the two of you would love to shout out or recommend or think are just doing a really great job right now um, I guess we sort of talked about it a little bit yesterday, Lolly, but for me, I'm not a tiny little girl. Um, and something that's always been a challenge for me, as much as I said at the beginning of the podcast, um, that everybody can be an outdoors lady. Uh, but sometimes it's hard because you feel held back when stuff doesn't fit you. And it's like, well, I'd like a comfortable, breathable pair of pants to go hiking in, but they come in up to a size eight or 10 and then they're made more like European sizes. So they actually fit much smaller. Um, so the size you think you're going to get still doesn't fit. Uh, but there's been a big movement for this in the industry and people are starting to recognize it and see it. Um, and REI has been really great about online and starting to increase this. And they're recognizing that women are in the outdoors and women have needs and wants and they don't want everything to be hot pink. Um, and they want things to fit well and we deserve what the men have. So shout out to REI. Also, Columbia, L.L. Bean, Duluth, they're all doing things um, to bring in more of the women's standards and also fit everybody. So for me, those are all places that I shop and get gear from and really love. And REI probably has gotten too much of my paycheck for too long. I know this episode is not sponsored by REI. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, they're just doing a great job. (laughs) They are. Um, yes, I love all of those brands too. And I think, um, you mentioned like the idea of like pink and like, you know, shrink it and pink it is kind of the phrase we tend to use here, which is the idea of taking dudes gear, making it smaller, slapping a pink or purple on it and calling it women's that works for some things that doesn't work for everything. And I think that a lot of times what it takes is like a woman in charge and running a business to like really see that change. Not always, but often. Um, so that's why I get really excited. Uh, Sportiva, which has like been a longtime favorite of mine, I always climb in their shoes, is being taken over by the founder's great-granddaughter soon. So she is going to become CEO and it's going to become a women-run company, which is really rad. I'm super excited about that. Um, I also think there are some really cool swimsuit brands out there because have you guys ever been like, you have this really cute bikini and you're so excited, but then maybe you're going like, paddling or maybe you're just maybe you're just like going into the waves and the waves are like pulling it down and like your boobs are popping out and your butt is hanging out and I feel like that happens to me when I just like jump into a pool oh, 100% <laughs> like right? I'm not even being that active right yeah, it's the it's laying the out bathing suit versus the active bathing suit yeah yes and yes and so I think there's a huge movement right now in the outdoor industry um that is often led by women-run brands to create swimsuits for women who rip, like for women who actually want to be active and not just like lay out. Not that there's anything wrong with laying out. I like to do that too. Um, but Sensi Graves is one of them. Her swimsuits like stay up so well. And sometimes she has like some high cut options, which I kind of love. Um, and then there is also Surfworthy, 
which was designed by a woman who actually surfs. And so like her bottoms don't fall down when you're catching a wave. So anyways, I think that there is like a huge movement there. And then one last brand that I want to give a shout out to is Patagonia. I um, I, yes, I love Patagonia. And I think that we're all super aware of um, kind of their like political and moral stance right now. And that's something that I personally can really get behind. And so I just feel really good. Not only do I like love their gear and think it's like of the highest quality and lasts forever, um, but I just, I feel good buying from them because I believe that our interests and views align really well. Perfect. Well, I feel like that is a great place to wrap up. And also the brands um, and things like the hiking project that Abigail mentioned, uh, links to all of that will be in the show notes. Um, but if you want to follow Abigail and Meg's adventures, you can find them online. Abigail, where can people find you on the internet? Um, I am at Abigail Wise on just about every platform. And Meg? I am only on Instagram these days and I am Megazine, uh, magazine, but with E and a double G that i'm at oh hey there mayor and i'm at lale hannah if you are planning an outdoor adventure uh please let us know and tag at women who travel our new instagram handle so that we can see what you guys are up to uh and we'll talk to you next week 